in this edition of Hoopsology, Justin and Matt welcome NBA insider and content editor for Heavy.com and author of The History of the NBA in 12 Games, Sean Devaney. Both hosts discuss the inspiration and the creative process of creating the book and the evolution of the NBA, along with his thoughts on the upcoming draft class of Victor Wimbanyama and Scoot Henderson. Please email your questions to hoopsologypod at gmail.com and follow us on all social media platforms, as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel. We are a proud member of Underdog Podcast. And now, Sean Devaney. What was the inspiration of the book? You know, uh, I've, I've written some other books. I've written um, some, some baseball history. Um, I've done some other sort of history. And uh, one, one thing that's always struck me, I've covered the NBA uh, pretty uh for a pretty long time here it's been 22 years uh so you know just just when i look at books and i look at sort of the way history is treated uh in the nba in the nba compared to baseball compared to football uh, i just didn't feel like there's a lot represented uh in terms of the history of the league so uh, i really wanted to find a way to go way back to to really the beginnings of the league and just tell the story of the league uh, progressing from uh, uh from its early days in the 50s uh, to what we see now with the uh, with the three pointers being the way that they are, there there's so many games to to pick from, so many styles. What was your process? I'm just interested in seeing like how did you narrow all that down? That might have been must have been an arduous process, or am I assuming was it easier than what you expected, or was it a very intense process kind of narrowing those games um, to your selection that made the book? Yeah, it's, it, it, you know, people who, who pick up the book might expect to see certain games in there, um, you know, that, that are well known that you'd see on Hardwood Classics and, 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 you know, classic ESPN, things like that, that you'd see uh, over the course of time, you know, whether it's game six, uh, you know, Michael Jordan pushing uh, uh, Brian Russell, or uh, you could go way back to, uh, you know, the 1974 NBA Finals, Boston and and uh, and and Phoenix when uh, you know there's a triple overtime game. Uh, you know you can certainly those are great games, but that's not really what I wanted to do. I wanted to pick 12 games that I felt sort of established where the NBA was at a certain point, and then sort of change things from there. Uh, so those are the games that I went for uh, more than sort sort of the great games. Um, you know, I talk about in the in the intro, I talk about I was actually at as a kid, uh, you know, as a, t- a 12 year old kid at at the game in which Michael Jordan uh, scored 63 at the uh, at the Boston Garden. It was a great game, but it wasn't really the game that changed things uh, as far as Michael Jordan, and the Bulls go. So I picked a different game uh, on that. And, and, you know, that's that that was sort of my approach was I wanted to find the games that uh, that, that really signified where the league was and how it changed thereafter. Yeah, really awesome concept. Think that people are going to really, really enjoy reading this book. Um, wanted to ask, going back to the history of these different sports, is there any particular reason that with the NBA, it, it may seem to be more difficult to find topics uh, like books related to the history of the sport? You know, I think part of it is, you know, in the early days of the NBA, I think, uh, you know, I kind of go to what what uh, J.J. Reddick said uh, earlier this year about, uh, you know, Bob Cousy playing or, or whoever was playing against, uh, uh, you know, firemen and uh, firemen and plumbers. 
Um, and, and I think that was the perception of the league in its early going was that what we see in terms of basketball now is nothing close to what it was uh, in its early days, whereas baseball is kind of, you know, obviously it changes as it goes, but it's pretty much the same game from from 1910 through through 2022. So uh, I, I think that's part of it. Um, and I think, though, that if you go back and you and you really uh, do some research on the subject and, and, and you watch some of those old games and you and you talk to people who were there, uh, you get a real sense that uh, that wasn't these were good, good players and these were good athletes. It was a different game for sure. Uh, but uh, but but there, there was definitely a, a high quality of basketball going on uh, at that time. And, and but but I think that the perception being that uh, it was kind of a rinky dink ragtag league in its early going and it was a different game. I think that's why the history part of it doesn't get as much respect as it should. I think that's changing, I should say, uh, you know, that I think, uh, you know, the Michael Jordan documentary, uh, uh, I think of Jackie McMullen's book about Larry Bird and, and Magic Johnson, uh, you know, Chris Herring's recent book about the, the Knicks in the 90s. Uh, you know, I think there is more, uh, you know, retrospect. Uh, re- there are more retrospectives on uh, on what's happened in the NBA over the years uh, than we've seen in the past. But I really wanted to go all the way back and, 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 and trail the whole history of the league. As you mentioned, you've written books over covering various different sports. I'm wondering, given what you just said, is it any easier, more difficult doing research on the history of the, the sport of basketball? I mean, it seems like a very tightly knit community in terms of those players that have played in the past, but is it any more difficult finding the info uh, that you used uh, like for many of those earlier games that you cover in this book? Yeah. I, and, you know, again, you know, getting to why and why the history of the NBA sort of gets overlooked. I think it's because the stats weren't really kept the same way in the early going either. Mm. Uh, you know, that a home run's always been a home run and a touchdown's always been a touchdown. Uh, but, you know, they didn't have assists uh, in 1956. Right. So, um, you know, there's, there's just different ways of, uh, uh, of, of, of measuring those things. And, and, you know, that's, 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 that's part of the problem is that it is hard to compare the ears that way. Uh, but at the same time, I did find plenty of materials. I mean, if you go back and, and look, uh, certainly in the, by the fifties, uh, and, and, and well into the sixties, uh, basketball had established itself, uh, as, a, as, as a very popular sport. And, um, and, and, you know, fortunately there's so many databases now, uh, to use as far as finding newspaper, uh, reports and finding uh, uh, old magazines and stuff that, that that you can go through and really find uh, a lot of information on on what was going on at the time, uh, and then you, you you can supplement that either through your own interviews or or interviews that have conducted uh, been conducted in other places, uh, and that's uh, uh, that's always useful too. So uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it's it, it is a bit of a challenge, but I kind of like that challenge. You kind of get to become a bit of a detective, uh, and that's uh, that's enjoyable. Sure. Did your perception of any of the eras of basketball, you know, closer to present day or or way in the past, uh, did your perception of any of those eras change significantly? Or even since you started covering the league 22 years ago, as you mentioned? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I really think that, you know, I... I I, I spent a lot of time as a, as a teenager and, and, and in my early 20s watching uh, basketball in the 90s. I think uh, 
Um, you know, I remember it mostly for Michael Jordan. Uh, that was uh, uh, that was sort of the focus. Um, I'm, I'm, I grew up in Boston, so uh, it was a really bad time of uh, uh, of history for the Celtics at that time. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember that as well. But I, I really wasn't paying attention to just the level of the physicality and and and, and indeed the brutality sometimes mm. that would happen in the '90s. So really going back and looking at it, really watching those games, especially when you watch basketball now, it's almost jarring to watch a game. Uh, from uh, you know a Knicks Heat game from you know 1997 1998 you know that's that, that was just uh, uh, barely recognizable as 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 the same thing as today's game so I think you know the 90s was uh, an, an interesting time uh, to look back at the other thing that I found uh, that was interesting to is is when you go back and you read the newspapers and you read the magazines of the time how much of it was gossip. And, and, and how much of it was this guy wants to get traded uh, or this team wants to trade for that guy. Uh, you know, they didn't have Twitter, but it was almost like they kind of did have Twitter. You know, it's like all these rumors that, that, that was going on, uh, you know, going back to the 50s and 60s. That's not uh, really as much of a new phenomenon uh, as even I thought it was. Mm, I'm sorry, Justin. One more question. Sure, I, I have absolutely. to follow up on that. Yeah. I- because another question I, I have here that I wanted to ask that this this ties into perfectly, are the eras more similar than we give them credit for? Yeah, I mean, look, there's no question that, uh, you know, physically uh, players now are are just so, you know, finely tuned and, 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 and they know so much about uh, how to get the most out of their bodies. Um, but, you know, for most of the time, uh, you know, there wasn't that much of a difference between the 60s and the 80s, for instance, uh, you know, that that players just kind of you know, they kept in basketball shape, but it wasn't like this, the, the high tech sort of, uh, uh, you know, what we see now. Uh, and, and so you had a lot of players whose careers ended at 32. Uh, you know, you were old by then. <laughs> and, it, and, and, you know, that's when you went off to sell insurance. So, uh, <laughs> so, you know, there's <laughs> so that, you know, that's that's the big change. But for most of basketball's history, it was pretty similar. I mean, you know, you got to 32, 33 years old uh, and, and, and that was it. Uh, you know, th- th- that's one of the big changes, but uh, that's, that's one of the similarities that goes through errors is, is that, uh, um, you know, f- physically these players were very, very similar uh, throughout. And it's only recently that that's really changed. Sean, I want to ask you, you mentioned the physicality of the, the 90s compared to the era of basketball that we're witnessing now. If, if you have a preference, what do you enjoy more? Do you enjoy more of that physical play or do you enjoy more maybe <laughs> um, fights being broken up or that physical play, you know, not approaching the heights as it was in, in previous eras? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think there's a happy medium there. I think maybe we've swung too much uh, the, the, the other way now, you know, away from any kind of physicality. Um, and I understand why. And I understand, I mean, I saw it happen, you know, I was covering, I remember covering, uh, the NBA finals in, it was 2003 and it was the Spurs and the Nets. And it was, it was something like game four was 74 to 69. And, and I remember Greg Popovich after the game saying, we just set basketball back 15 years. And this was the finals. This was the two best teams. Uh, and, uh, and, and he was right. And, you know, so, um, you know, look, that was ugly. That was, that was unwise. I'd much rather watch this than that. At the same time, I do think we've probably gone a little too 
a little too far in terms of uh, spreading the floor and um, and 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 uh, you know getting rid of the mid-range game altogether and and just have everything be layups or uh, or three-pointers. You know that's that's that that's not quite it either for me. But uh, certainly I prefer that uh, to what we were seeing uh, uh, in the uh, in the early 2000s. Are you concerned that just with the popularity of three-pointers and Steph Curry, Trey Young spreading the floor, they it can you know get out of control in terms of the NBA maybe introducing a four-point shot or any maybe any other innovations maybe you know you know 10, 20 years down the line you know all sports evolve some ways. Do you, do you see that being a you know a reasonable fear just in terms of how we're seeing more long-distance shooting, especially in recent years, or do you think the game will be contained? Yeah, it, it, it's a good question. You know, I mean, I think that 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 there's a real chance that 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 sort of thing could develop. But I think that what we're seeing, if you look at over the last 10, 15 years, there's such a spike in three pointers. And now it's kind of reached a plateau. And I think the reason, you know, we're not seeing it just goes endlessly up. Uh, the way it was before, it's kind of flattening out. And I think one reason is that defenses have found some ways to adjust. And I think the way to adjust is, uh, you know, with the switching defenses, with guys who can guard multiple positions. Um, you know, you look at the Celtics last year, a good example of a team that had so much athleticism at so many different positions that you can get out and guard the three-point line and still recover uh, and, and, and guard the lane as well. Uh, so I think as more of those players gain value, uh, and we're already seeing it, I believe, uh, then 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 that that three point rise is going to is going to level off, and I think you'll probably see more teams, you know, look at, uh, you know, can can we get a big guy? Can we bring back the post game a little bit, um, you, you know, to take advantage of that? Uh, because if you're going to be using guys like Draymond Green at, at a center, then then you know, as a as a as an opponent, you want to be able to to put a seven footer out there who can take advantage of him. So yeah, I do think it's going to swing back naturally the other way a little bit. Uh, but uh, um, but you know, I mean, look, there's always going to be adjustments, like you say. Interesting. So so just to ask directly, I mean, the the future of the league is maybe this more more like versatility and and a mix of the size and speed like that length you need on the perimeter um what else would you think uh in terms of the next you know five to ten years of the league in terms yeah. of that snapback yeah you know i mean I, I i do wonder um you know if if some of these young uh you know unicorns as they call them uh, you know if, if if they're going to be uh able to stay healthy enough for one thing i mean that's something mm. that um, you know, obviously we've seen it with Chet Holmgren, uh, and we'll see, but we will see what happens with Wembenyama. But, um, you know, that's, that's something that, uh, as far back as I can remember, that's, you know, Bill Walton is a good example of a guy who's, uh, you know, big and had that versatility, that athleticism, but put so much pressure on his feet and his feet just were never right. Uh, right up through, uh, you know, Yao Ming did the same thing. Uh, Zajunas Ogaskis was was a great, great player. Who wound up being a role player, uh, but before his foot injuries, he was he he, he was fantastic. It was going to get better. Um, you know that that's something that um, I, I wonder if, especially with the modern science and the modern uh, medicine, if they can find ways not to only have Ralph Sanson, another good example, but uh, you know if they can find ways to not only have these guys who have this ridiculous size, but also these uh, you know physical gifts uh, if they can find ways to keep them healthy. Because if they can, if if, if Chet Holmgren and, and Wembenyana, if they can have 15-year careers, I'm really interested to see how that goes. 
you mentioned Victor, and we were talking about him with a previous guest uh, just a few weeks ago. Is there anything in his game that you that you see that can you know fight against previous trends of big men and kind of the injury woes that, like you said, they experience you know in their first couple of years? There's been so many great you know hyped big men over the years, and they, like you said, you know oftentimes they crash and burn just due to the injury bug. But you know Victor's gaining a lot of hype, unlike anything I've seen since LeBron, possibly. Are you seeing anything in his game that he could, you know, besides modern medicine, just the way he plays, do you see anything that might um, aid him in terms of preventing those pitfalls that other of his peers encountered? Yeah, probably, you know, I'd probably say the other way that, that, you know, the way his athleticism, his ability to put the ball on the floor and attack, uh, you know, that's, that's with most big guys, you're worrying about the feet, you know, that's, that's been, that's been what's, historically uh been the problem for big guys i think with him you'd worry about knees too because he is so active uh and and just how much he's uh he moves and, and how athletic he is so um you know i'd probably be actually be a little more worried about him just because of uh uh you know the, the amount of movement that he's able to uh to, to work into his game fascinating uh, go ahead, Matt. I'm no doctor, just to be clear. Oh, yeah. I'm no, I'm not <laughs> claiming. Well, <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, at a certain point, it's kind of physics, you know, yeah. like um, like Giannis. I think of him hyperextending his knee in the playoffs. I mean, so much speed and power and longer limb lengths. You know, I, I think you're right in that physics comes into play. Right. You wonder what they can do. I mean, of course – you know, rehab and, and prehab, as they call it, are continuously advancing. But yeah, we'll be fascinating to see. I, I wanted to ask you, and, and I'm not going to give away the team or anything because I, I want people to dig into the book. I, I don't want to spoil things, but I do want your opinion on kind of this large topic that continually gets recycled in at least the NBA media. Um, but there, there's a team that you cover where three superstars are brought in and team has chemistry issues the whole season uh there's a pivotal game that you discuss that's that's a very important one um and you know in in reviewing this i my, my mind immediately goes to oh this is a super team and, and this is a team from the 60s um is this super team has this been going on all along and we just continually recycle this narrative what are your thoughts on you know past versus present super teams and yeah, I'll, 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 give it, I'll give it away you know it was jerry west and Elsie yeah. Naylor and, and 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 they were already a very very good team in los angeles and they go and they get uh wilt chamberlain and ask add him to the mix and the assumption was that's it there's nobody beating the lakers uh, you know, and and they were an absolutely miserable bunch. They could not stand each other. Uh, they could not, or, or most of the guys couldn't. You know, certainly, Wilt could not stand uh, the coach, Butch Van Vredekoff. Uh, and uh, and and so it was it was had the makings of a disaster. But they were so talented that they wind up winning. Uh, they wind up winning in the playoffs. They wind up winning uh, uh, the Western Conference. Uh, and they beat a, a Celtics team that's that's very very beat up. Uh, and, um, and, and old at that point, I mean, Bill Russell's 34, I believe, and, and Sam Jones is 35 and they had a bunch of role players around them. Guys like Don Nelson and Larry Siegfried, who weren't great players, but were pretty good role players. Uh, and the Celtics beat them. And, and, you know, it's, uh, uh, it's reminiscent of, uh, of, of Dallas beating Miami, uh, in 2011. So, uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's, that's been going on, right. That's not, it's not that new. 
uh, that that sort of thing happens. And, you know, we also in the book talk about, uh, uh, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar forcing his way out of uh, out of Milwaukee and going to, to to Los Angeles as well. And, you know, that's that's 1975. So, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, this is not when we when we get very upset because Anthony Davis wants to trade. It's already happened before, man. You know, it's already it's uh, maybe he didn't handle it the right way. He handled it a different way. But it, but it's something that, yeah, we've seen this movie before. Do you think um, it, based on the research that you did, you know, thinking of the era back then, there's probably less info available on this. But was there the same or similar type of emotional reaction from the fans from what you could tell? Um, you know, obviously smaller scope in the league, less cities, less, less franchises, no social media, but from what you could gather, what's the emotional response of the fans like? You know, I, I think it depends on the market. You know, it was definitely mm-hmm. an, a, a, an era where, and, and really all the eras up until it's really only been the last 15 or 20 years where you didn't really have to think about market size, where you can kind of throw that out. You know, everything is, um, you, you know, people are more fans of, of, of specific players as much as specific teams. Uh, but back then it really depended on the market. You know, the, uh, the New York market was, was very, very basketball hungry. Uh, Los Angeles, you know, when they, when they got Will Chamberlain uh, and also when they got um, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and, and when they drafted Magic Johnson, they had these big elaborate press conferences with like dancing girls and and like a, a full bar. And I was reading it, and it was like the press conference at like 10 in the morning and the, the writers were up at them. Like, what is whoa? It was like uh, Mad Men or something. But uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, it was, um, uh, yeah, you know, it, it definitely depended on the market. Obviously, Boston was a big market for, for basketball as well. But uh, uh, so it wasn't, you know, I don't think there was, in Milwaukee, there wasn't a great hue and cry uh, about losing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar uh, as much as there was a big, huge celebration uh, in uh, uh, going on in, in Los Angeles. Sean, through your research, are there aspects of the game from previous eras that you wish would have carried on to what the game we're seeing today? Is there anything that, you know, that's through the games that you selected, just aspects from on the floor, even off the floor from way, maybe the media covers just the NBA itself. That's been lost through time that you were, maybe that's been, that should be brought back into the modern game that we see today. Yeah. I mean, they had reporters had great access to, you know, like they would, they would, they would sometimes fly on the planes with the players and stuff like that. I wouldn't mind seeing that come back. Um, you know, certainly, you know, the NBA at the time was, uh, you know, they, they needed the coverage. They were still behind, uh, the NFL and, and, and baseball uh, firmly in terms of coverage and, and they needed to get as much coverage uh, as possible. But, um, you know, the, the, I, I think the one thing that I'd like to have seen change um, is, is that I would like to have seen um, international players uh, come into the league earlier. Um, you know, I cover a little bit when in the Dirk Nowitzki chapter, I talk a little bit about Arvidas Sabonis, um, mm-hmm. And and he didn't wind up getting into the to the NBA until he was pretty much a spent force. You know, he wasn't right. he was he, he wasn't uh, um, you know, he, he wasn't himself. But when you when you uh, talk to people or you, or you read accounts of how good he was uh, in the early 80s, uh, you know, man, I would have loved to have seen him have a full NBA career. Uh, and, and, you know, there was this great Yugoslavian teams. 
uh, with uh, uh, you know Drazen Petrovic and 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 uh, Dino Raja, Tony Kukoc, uh, Vladi Divac. Um, you know, if those guys could have come to the NBA earlier, uh, you know, I, I would have liked to have seen uh, the international game. Uh, be be incorporated to the NBA earlier. I think that would have been, uh, you know, really interesting to see how some of those players fared. Sean, transitioning now to present day, who are you excited to watch this season, whether it be contender or up-and-comers? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, uh, the, the two teams that were in the finals last year, this is not something that we usually see. Uh, had the most dramatic uh, uh, off seasons, yeah, uh, you know. I sure mean, geez, did. you know, with uh, with, and it was hard to top Brooklyn's off season, right? I mean, right. you know, after everything that the Nets went through, uh, yeah. but you know, this, the, how did the Celtics come back with with Joe Mazzulla as their coach? This guy's, you know, never really, never really been uh, a head coach except at Fairmont State in uh, in the hills of West Virginia, uh, and and you know, he's going to come in and, and and take over a team that went to the NBA Finals. Oh boy, that's 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 a huge story. And then you know the Warriors with all this stuff hanging over them now, uh, this punch from Draymond Green, uh, and sort of what it signifies to it signifies something bigger, and that is uh, you know that this team is going to change because Draymond Green is going to be a free mm-hmm. agent next year. You're going to have uh, uh, Clay Thompson the year after that be a free agent, and they gave big extensions to Poole. Uh, and, and Andrew Wiggins, how does all that affect that team? So, you know, the, the two best teams in the league, uh, you know, are, are, are really looking at all this drama this year. And I just think, I think that sets up, uh, uh, you know, a fascinating year in both of those cities. So uh, you don't usually get to see something like that, but, but that's where we are in the league. And like I say, I think there's probably, you know, 10, 10 teams uh, that have a legitimate shot at winning a championship this year. Yeah, I think when we talk about NBA drama, at least in the conversation, you know, the Warriors that you mentioned, Steph getting a fifth title, I, I think makes legacy conversations all the more interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot that, you know, especially Steph, I think there's a lot of pressure on him to help them overcome this. You know, he's not he's not the most vocal leader at all times, but he's gonna have to be. And and, and uh, you know, I'll be interested to see how he uh, responds to all this. To, uh, to that point, just previewing the season, you mentioned there's like 10 teams in the running um, for the title. Fans are they're usually pretty fickle in terms of, you know, there's kind of two camps. Some like the parity, some like just the dominance. What do you think is best in terms of the league? I, I, I believe that parity is the best. You know, more teams the merrier in terms of being a contender. But how do you feel about that in terms yeah, of Yeah, I mean, certainly there's been – you know, I think, you know, the Miami Heat were interesting as a super team and, and, and the Warriors were the first couple of years, but then it was just the Warriors every year. And I think people got tired of that. I got tired of that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that that to come in with 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 the possibility of, uh, you know, like I say, double digits, at least uh, teams, I think that's much more interesting. Um, you know, a, a third of the league. That was something that we just didn't, you know, it, it, we just didn't see that 10, 15 years ago, even even five, six years ago uh, when the Warriors were on their roll. We just haven't seen this in a while, you know, where you could have Milwaukee, um, you know, we could have Miami. I mean, Miami was within uh, a Jimmy Butler three-pointer last year being in the finals themselves. You know, obviously Philadelphia's made uh, big, big changes. Uh, I mentioned the Warriors, uh, the Grizzlies, the, the Nuggets should be, uh, you know, now with Jamal Murray back. Uh, the Suns, of course, people forget about the Clippers getting Kawhi Leonard back. I mean, you go right down the list. There's 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 a lot of teams uh, that 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 feel like they have a chance to win uh, this year, and and they should. 
Sean. We appreciate the, your time and the interview. Uh, please go check out this book. It is just a, a great reference point for really anybody, even like a casual NBA fan, to really understand the history of the league. I think just like every other sport, but I feel like basketball, because maybe I'm biased, but I feel especially in this sport and especially in this league, just learning the history in terms of just the beginning to where we are now is, is critically important. And I think Sean, you did a great job in um, chronicling all of that. Well, thank you, Justin. I appreciate that. Sean, please... where can our listeners yes. find you? Uh, well, at Sean Devaney on Twitter, that's D-E-V-E-N-E-Y. And my first name's S-E-A-N, but uh, uh, also the book is uh, History of the NBA in 12 Games, and that's available at, at Amazon or, or, you know, any of the, uh, uh, any of the uh, online stores and, and will be in stores uh, after November 1st. Fantastic. Sean, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, guys.